Welcome to the Jam Session Radio Hour. I am your host, John Landis. Tonight we have an interview, again, a part of the series that is being brought to us through the auspices of NYU, the Steinhardt School there, and in particular, the head of that school, Dave Schroeder. Thank you so much, Dave, for the interviews that you've made available to us. These are uh, an excellent series of interviews we have done. Uh, For those of you who'd like to Uh, Go back and check out some of these. You can find them on our podcast for the Jam Session Radio Hour at various different locations of those podcasts. We have brought you interviews of Tom Scott, of John McLaughlin, of Peter Erskine, and three of Mike Mineri. And they've all been excellent interviews and so educational and interesting with excellent music being chosen by our sound people. We'll talk about them later. And tonight we bring you an interview of Richard Bona. Richard Bona, a fascinating, fascinating individual who is from Cameroon, Africa, and was involved in music from the time he was a child uh, in church, as uh, many have been. He's played with all kinds of people in his career, which is ongoing. He's played with Joe Zavanaugh, uh, Michael Brecker, and has some wonderful things to say. So let's get to an interview of of Dave Schroeder from the NYU Steinhardt School with bass player Richard Bona. Richard, I just want to read this. I pulled this off of the internet. Imagine an artist with Jaco Pastorius's virtuosity, George George Benson's vocal fluidity, Joao Gilberto's sense of song, and harmony, all mixed up with African culture. That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) So um, we're just going to ruminate on that for a minute and come back to that, because I want to talk about uh, a couple things. More important, most importantly, is your musical process. So what we've learned is, is it true that some musicians are just born inspired and they pick up an instrument and you're fully formed? You know, if we read some of your uh, press releases, you grew up in Cameroon and your family were musicians and you grew up in the church and you picked up instruments and, and all of a sudden you're the internationally renowned Richard Bona. Can you talk about um, your process and how, how much time and effort and energy it takes you to become the person that we know as your Richard Bona? First of all, thank you for having me here. And uh, to answer your question, uh, nobody, I don't think people come out as uh, as the genius musician or whatever. I don't think so. Because uh, everybody had a chance to play with people that we call geniuses. When you, if I had to mention people like Mike Breaker, or Pat Metheny, Joe Zawno, or George Benson. There's one thing that I saw in common with these people. They practice all the time. Yes. Now, you had made the comment before, the process of improvisation is not always... It's not improvisation. It's not improvisation in music. 
what we call improvisation is repetition. Okay, improvising is uh, as walking in a jungle and you have a lion facing you. There, now you have to improvise. You know what I mean? That's what you call improvisation. Doing something you never did before. But what musicians are doing is actually repetition. And excellence comes from repetition. You want to be good at doing something? Just do it every day. And uh, so all these great musicians have something in common. They practice a lot. And uh, the more you're doing some, you become good. And hopefully you become excellent at doing it. Because you're doing it every day. But uh, I don't believe in anybody becoming or crossing that river, get to that level without the practice. That wouldn't even be fair. Yeah. You see? Now, let's go back to your, your beginnings because um, for anyone that knows Richard's work, you're, you're, you're heavily influenced by the music of Jaco Pastorius. Yeah. And, um, and years ago, you did a master class for us at NYU and you talked about uh, how you uh, went to a club and you wanted to play at the club and uh, you didn't you had you, you had made an instrument can you tell us that story uh, I, I grew up and I, I was born in Cameroon uh, Central Africa so I grew up with musicians around me my mother my grandfather so I was surrounded by musicians so all I did was uh, just play music every day you know since you know since I was three years old just played music every day till uh, I got to the city. I was uh, 14 years old, playing a guitar. But before playing a guitar, I already played like organ in the church because my mother's church singer. So I played church for, for, for many years, playing organ and balafron. You know, those uh, balafron was actually my first instrument. So when I got into the city, we used to play all these uh, African top whatever songs that were popular back then. And uh, and comes this guy who who's opening a night, uh, night who's opening a jazz club, but I never heard of jazz music before, so, you know, because uh, I grew up in a tiny little village, so we didn't have a radio or nothing. So I was just playing, you know, church music and traditional music. That's uh, that's all I played back then. And uh, and this guy came to see us playing, and he told me, "Oh, too bad you guys don't play jazz music, cause what I'm doing, I'm trying to open a real jazz club." So I told him, "I never heard of jazz music before. This is what we do, you know. If you want a musician, this is what we're gonna play." And uh, you know, and then after a while, I told him, "You know, how much are you gonna pay me to play your whatever you call jazz?" Or <laughs> and. And he told me, if you can play jazz, I will pay you 20 times what they pay you here. I said, come here, repeat what you just said, because, you know, he said, if you play jazz music, I will pay, how much you getting paid here? And I told him, I was getting paid 500 safer, which is like a dollar a night to play from 9 to 6 in the morning, 9 p.m. to 6, nonstop, no sets, no. One long show. But what were you playing? What instrument? Guitar and singing. So, and I told him, so you pay me 20 bucks? He said, yeah. I said, you know what? 
We got a deal. I don't care if this is military music or whoever play that jazz music. I'm gonna play that music. <laughs> so <laughs> I came to jazz music for some economical reasons, <laughs> you know. But that's the truth, you know. And because uh, I never heard of it before, so I went to his place. He had this huge collection of uh, LPs. There were no CDs back then. So. And he had this huge collection of Ron, and he used to travel with him. He was one of those crazy, you know, jazz lovers, and, you know. And he told me, choose one. He had like 400, 500 of those. And I took one, and that was Portrait of Trace with Jacobus Stories. Go figure, why? And I didn't like bass back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he told me, no, bass, I'm like, nah, that's like too easy. And then, uh, and that was it. And I heard Donnelly by Charlie Parker, the first the first song on that record. And I thought and I thought for a minute, I was like, the turntable is running fast. I told him, you know, I think that turntable is running fast. He said, No, that's the right speed. I said, Really? I said, that somebody's playing bass? He said, Yeah. Wow, so he played that song again. <laughs> and uh, and right there I fell in love with the bass. The next day, I quit playing guitar. I was playing bass. So, but is this the bass that you made yourself? No, I, it was a guitar. I made my my first, you know, but I made my first guitar was what seven. The first guitar I saw somebody, a tourist was passing around in my village. Made a stop in my village. It has an acoustic, beautiful acoustic. Uh, guitar, and uh, some of my friends came and called me because I was the musician of the village, you know. They said, man, come see these guys. I have this beautiful instrument. And I came, I knew about a guitar, I heard about a guitar, but that was the first time I saw somebody with a guitar. So what I did, I watched him during the whole thing. He was in my village for about two hours, but what I was looking, I was checking out the whole mechanism of a guitar. So I said, okay, you know what, I need to build myself the same thing. So next day I started my, you know, my atelier. I started to build a guitar. And the first one didn't sound good because uh, I used some strings, you know, the fishing net. You know, I made my strings with uh, my grandfather fishing net and it didn't sound good. So. And I went and stole brake cables from the guy who used to repair bicycle. And I made some beautiful guitar. That guitar was notorious, man. You know what I mean? The best guitar in the history of guitar. <laughs> then uh, no, I made my own guitar and uh, I used to perform with it. Yeah. Beautiful guitar. No need a microphone. Sounded good. You never break strings. Especially if they're brake cables from a motorcycle. Yeah, from bicycle. Those are solid. You know, yeah. Now, how did it's one thing to listen to that Jocko record, it's another thing to totally absorb it and emulate it like you have. It's like you, uh, the, the concept of music theory, like it's taught here in a music school like NYU, probably different from the way that you heard and played music without that theory coming from. Cameroon. So how did you uh, make those two connections between uh, more advanced type music like Donnelly and understanding how to play it? Did you just hear it and play the notes? Did you understand the harmony? 
I don't understand any harmony till what you guys call harmony. You know what I mean? Just have my own, the way I process with music when I was a kid, I look at music like, uh, like you're looking at colors. I, could, I knew what kind of chord just by listening. I know the shape, I would say, the shape of a chord. But I couldn't tell you it's a minor seven or a major, you know. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know anything back then. But if I heard something, I could play anything I could hear. I could, I could sing anything I could, you know, anything that my, my ear process. Actually, what I, I usually teach people in general is uh, I grew up singing everything I'm playing. So it comes out to this result. If I could sing anything I'm playing, I could play anything I sing. So, and I could play anything I hear. Because it's one thing in walking, practicing like this, and it's another thing practicing when you're singing because you, you are taking this to your physical, you're teaching your mind into, because you know, because there's some great musicians sometimes, when you don't sing that much, when you're playing, sometimes it becomes hard to, it's so hard to explain what it is, you know, it's one of those, you know, mechanism that you know, you need to be in there to, to understand what it is. The more you sing, you actually, because I remember when, as a kid, I didn't have any perfect pitch. If you, you played note, I wouldn't tell you, this is what is, this is this, that, or this is A. First of all, I didn't know A or whatever, you know. I just built my own instrument the way I think it should be built, you know what I mean? So by singing all the time, playing and singing all the time, now, when I hear a music, I know, oh, A flat, G, D, C sharp, boom, right away. I couldn't do that as a young kid, but I could do that after, because uh, I sang so much, you know your range too, mm -hmm. so you kind of control your range. I hear something, I'm like, ooh, that's too high, I can't go that high. I didn't even try, but I know it already. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's a high, oh, E flat, I can't go that high. You know, but uh, so that's why I was trying to get people to, to sing. Not because, don't think of your voice being, oh no, I don't think I'm a singer. No, it's just to incorporate that in your body. Yeah. Na titi poni sonja Ni ma pole pinyo mambenda De e ya lango yen de yandolo De nje peso e podige De no peso wala Se o djana bilan Ba wanande ba sin langwe tomba lenin Toba na basumo Ba titi indyo mabo singa du 
Emende no betan Bati seba bontumbum Yalavu 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 Listening to WLIW from Southampton, New York, WLIW FM 88.3 on the dial. Also, you can find us at WLIW.org/slash radio at Long Island's only NPR station. We're listening to an interview by Dave Schroeder of the Steinhardt School at NYU of bass player Richard Bona. So your singing came from your family in church music? Yeah, in church, my mother, my grandfather, you know, people sang around me all the time. So, you know, and as a kid, you you tend to try to be like your your father, your mother, or, you know, whoever, or elders surrounding you, you know. And I was really lucky as a kid because, you know, I, I had a chance to play. I was, what, five years when I joined a band at a church, 
and how uh, uh, I was lucky to share a stage with people that were already like 80 years old. That's that's really important, you know. And uh, they taught me how to groove, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was so much discipline, you know, that uh, that you don't see in modern music today, you know. I was, you know, the way almost like classical music. They tell, you know, this is your part, you stick with your part, you know. So was there a point in your playing that you you really felt this connection that you knew that uh, uh, you understood your, your role in music and you knew how to start at one place and extend it to, um, uh, let's say, um, that you could really direct the music from you. You had you had the knowledge that you needed to move forward yeah. to the point where, and I'll say this, it's like when uh, the first time I became aware of you was through Joe Zavano and the Zavano Syndicate recordings. So, for instance, by the time that you got to meet and work with Joe Zavano, you already knew what your function and role with Joe was and how you could make that as musical as possible. That's bizarre, because, uh, music comes to me, the way I, I look at the whole, the whole thing in music, you know, is, the more you know, the less you know. It's amazing, I never, it's almost like I know that I don't know, you know. So the more I know, less I know. We are students of music to the last day. So I never felt like, you know, that I knew anything, because the more I knew, there were always, uh oh, <laughs> the source of that, you know. Uh, and that's what makes music so beautiful and so challenging, you know. Like, first time I went to India, I couldn't get half of what they were doing, to tell you the truth. You know, I was like, okay, this is another, how, how do you do that, you know? So, music is, you know, comes out with all with different languages. So, you know, when I joined Joe Zawinu, you know, it was a beautiful, you know, it's a beautiful thing, but uh, it was always, a, I always look at this as a learning process. Like I'm doing a flamenco project now in Spain with guys in the south of Spain in a city called Jerez de la Frontera. That will be my next album. Those are challenging. It's so challenging to play that music, you know. It's really challenging, you know. I, and again, because I just, I just don't like being comfortable, you know. The moment I start feeling real comfortable, it's time to make a move. You know, so I just, especially coming from where I came from, where I didn't have a chance to learn, you know, because basically what I did, I had to go play in church and play for ceremonies when I was a kid. So I had nothing else, you know, so, so now it's different, you know, I could travel and, uh, and, 
I could make some decisions for myself. So I would take advantage of that and just do that. That's why I'm like, I'm on, you know, when I got it, people are like, you never played flamenco before. So you know what, let me hang for a little while. I love that music. I know it sounds kind of, uh, you know, give me some time. I trust my ears, I trust my fingers, and uh, I get it. So I went there, spent some time in Spain, and hang with those musicians, because, you know, you just need to know how to turn the key in any kind of music, you know. Don't be afraid, don't, don't be, you know. So that's what I did, and that's what I do all the time, you know. Like I have this Cuban band that I, I, just, I just did a gig this week at the Zing Bar for three nights. With uh, with my Cuban unit, you know, us. At the end of the day, that's what music is all about. You know, if you really did it, you have that dedication and that love and passion for music. You know, and uh, when you dedicate yourself to music, you will play. You know, all the time. That's what I do. I sit in my studio, wake up in the morning, and uh, my son told me one day, "Man, Dad, you don't go." You don't go to movies, you don't, man, how do you do that? You don't go out, you don't, you know. But I'm comfortable here, you know what I mean? I love being in my studio and just play and go back home and sleep, <laughs> get some sleep, so. Well, I know just from our interaction over the past couple of years, it's like uh, you say you're going to show up at a certain time. You're there early, even today. You're supposed to show up at uh, 11, you show up at 10.30, Right. African so, time, baby. <laughs> so there's a dedication that transfers f from not only keeping time, but uh, preparing yourself for music. Is there ever a uh, gig or performance or record date that you're not fully prepared for that you're saying, oh, I'll just go in and wing it? No, I don't do it that way. I cannot. Yeah. I actually just turned down a gig with Lauren Hill who was supposed to be in the Washington DC today and because uh, uh, I got there and I felt like people were not prepared so I turned down $16,000 to be in my studio you know I, I just don't if it's not prepared I don't I don't you know I love music so much I, I just I can't do it for money you know what I mean I'm opening a club this year, a new club. Oh, I shouldn't say it here. On 52nd Street in town. You know, I do all this thing not because, you know, it's because I love music. And uh, being on time is a part of my, you know, I have to be on time, you know. I have to be on time. I cannot, you know. And I have one of my band members here. He knows that. I just... Um, nah, I was born ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just want to go back to uh, Jocko one more time. Yeah. Because uh, as, as most people know that you, you can really emulate the, the sound, the precision, the, the, the feeling. That's how I learned how to play bass. Right. How, how many hours, how long, how long did you stick with that solo record? And just and just work on it and work on it and listen until you had it perfectly matched. I had about three months before three months before the guy opened the club, so I 
I took that record. Funny thing, I never listened to all the records around. I sat with that record for like three months and I knew everything about that record. Not only on the bass, you know, all other parts, you know. So I spent about three months playing everything on that record. And uh, it was my introduction to jazz music. It was a beautiful introduction, you know, because from that record now, uh, I got to know who, who was Joe Zawner. From Joe Zawner, I knew who was Ben Webster. From Ben Webster, you know, then you started to go into, ah, who's this guy to, oh, he's on that record. And then I started to check on all these guys, you know, but that was my introduction to jazz music. You know. Can you tell us your relationship with Joe Zavanol? What was he like as a, as a teacher, as a mentor, as a person? You know, my relationship with Richard Bond. <laughs> <laughs> man, Joe was, uh, he was a great father, man. I was a great teacher, but he was like really, he, you know, he had, some people had a hard time with Joe. I never had a hard time with Joe. You know, I know a lot of people will go, my, oh my God, Joe Zalno, he was so rough and stuff. He tried to be rough with me one time. One time at Boston, we were playing at Scholars. Yeah. He tried to be rough on me on stage, and I gave him that ninja look. Because <laughs> they called me ninja. So I gave him that ninja look going like, listen, old man, play your part, and I play mine, okay? And you better follow me, because I lead you now. We're on stage, okay? And shh, be quiet. Because <laughs> he was on stage yelling at Manolo, yelling at everybody. <laughs> and I turned, I said, man, you company like an old lady, man. Just play your instrument, man. Don't worry. Everything's going to be all right. I saw him looking at me like, huh? <laughs> and I told that day I was fired. So we had a little meeting and stuff. And that was the only, you know, but he, great teacher, really. You're talking about ears, like we spoke before. He heard everything. Josiah Arnold heard everything. I used to go... I used to go in the dressing room. I guess to the dressing room. Of course, he's drunk, you know, and trying to mess around with him. And I'd be like, I take ten fingers on the piano, go like, Boop. yeah, Pepe, give me that chord, because I used to call him Pepe, like Jose, you know. Yeah, give me that chord now. What, what's, give me, give me the finger in here, Pepe. He said, man, get the f out of here. What do you know about this? Thing? And he would give me the exact finger from left to right. 10 notes at the same time. And I don't keep them ringing. Just a quick hit, and I tell you, give you that. And drunk. <laughs> you know what I mean? Man, Joe was another level, man. I tell you that, you know. And I've, I'm just lucky. I was, uh, you know, I was able to share a stage with guys like that, you know. You're listening to WLIW-FM, Southampton, New York, 88.3, also listenable at WLIW.org slash radio. This is an interview on the Jam Session Radio Hour by Dave Schroeder of the Steinhardt School at NYU of Richard Bona. 
Well, let's talk about Brecker and, and his practice regime that you were talking about earlier. That, you know, he's Godzilla. he was Godzilla. He's still <laughs> practicing. That guy could practice all day, all the time. You hear break a practice, you know. And uh, that's why he was, for me, the greatest, you know, of all people I play with, really. And uh, not, not only his playing, it's also today, you know, when people, when I decided to give like a private class to somebody, I never charge people. Because uh, when I think of Breaker, I feel guilty trying to charge somebody for a class. When I got to New York, Columbia decided to sign me. Grandfather Marcellus was uh, was uh, A&R, him and Jeff Levinson there. They decided to sign me as a young artist, you know, so I signed my contract there, you know. I didn't have a huge amount of budget to do my first record. First of all, I didn't even have an idea which record I should, I should do. I was so lost. I'm like, what, why you guys want to sign me? I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just playing with, you know. So I finally signed it. And I said, I signed, you know. I see what happened. I told Breaker, you know, man, I want Breaker to play on one of the two or two tunes. He said, man, great, no problem call my manager and tell him, you know, a boo-boo, and he would schedule it. He was so happy to play on my record. I'm like, man, is, is this normal? I said, okay. And then uh, I called his manager, and uh, the manager called me three days before the session. Oh, unfortunately, Mike, Mike is coming from Turkey, so you can't do your session because he's flying three flights, you know, to get here to JFK, and then uh, he's gonna be he's he's gonna be you know he's frying, he's gonna be tired. He can't do that session, and I'm like, man, three days before the session, I could I can't cover that now, you know, I can't cancel the studio we were over Manhattan, uh, Manhattan. How do you call the studio up there? Avatar? No, Manhattan Center. Oh. I don't know if they still have studios there and stuff. So so I couldn't cancel the session anymore. So, But I got some other guys to come around to do, you know, to play piano and stuff. And uh, of course, I felt bad. I'm like, wow, last minute is kind of, uh, you know. And, uh, and I remember 2.36 that day. So somebody opening the door, opening the door, and that was Mike Breaker, with saxophone and luggage, <laughs> coming from the airport, and tired, and and picked up a saxophone and just started to play. And uh, and he was so happy, you know, engage himself into you know suggesting things. Oh man, you should add this. I think you should do this. And he left, and I remember us. I remember sending him a check. Oh, and he returned me the check. <laughs> I said, "No, man, you you don't have to pay me for that." <laughs> 
listening to WLIW from Southampton, New York, WLIW FM 88.3 on the dial. Also, you can find us at WLIW.org slash radio at Long Island's only NPR station. We're listening to an interview by Dave Schroeder of the Steinhardt School at NYU of bass player Richard Bona. And that, just because of that, you know, I always feel like, you know, every time... I get like a young person coming around like I want this or can you you know I feel kind of bad even bad and that's why also Mike Breaker not only he was a great musician he was also a wonderful human being when it comes to you know just being a true human being a good person yeah and I really value that you know Wow, thanks for that story. Thanks. Hey, uh, at the top of the interview, I mentioned a couple names that people had kind of connected you with, Jocko. Another person was Jao Gilberto. And, and for me, I think what it is, is how quietly and softly you and your band can play even when it's grooving really hard. And if, for those people who haven't heard you play live, this is extra special because... Rarely do you just get something that funky, groovy, that's quiet. And you're the master of that. I learned that from Count Basie. Uh-huh. Quiet. Beautiful. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you know. And I grew up in a, you know, I grew up in a church, so nobody had a microphone in the church, so it was all acoustic acoustic music and nothing sound better than that and uh, on the road we fight I fight a lot with sound guys because uh, as you know today music is all you know we got headphones and all and everything is all amplified everything is all distorted everything has to be loud the radio everything is all compressed and all this thing you don't hear a lot of uh, acoustic music so when you get there and tell a guy you know I actually don't want a bass in the room I don't want a mic I don't want to hear my voice in the monitor they're like huh and that's the best sounding you could get you know because today you go to clubs go around town in clubs now I see people going with earplugs in clubs some of you guys yeah you're laughing I know that now people go in club now today with earplugs it's like going in a movie theater soon with uh, a <laughs> I'm like man where are we going this is not how you listen to music or musicians sometimes. I got to a bandstand sometimes. I see a drummer coming. I won't name anybody. <laughs> he stopped putting up his 
Wax. I'm talking wax. Cool. It's like going below the sea, like 20 feet under, and, and I'm standing here, we, and we're supposed to play <laughs> together, you know? So all those things, you know? But uh, luckily, my band, like you see, if you saw my band playing, we, you know, dynamics are actually a, a big part, a huge part of our success, I would say, yeah. Now, the other part that we haven't talked about, the other side of your left hand, right hand, is your voice. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to say this, but it's like I took my wife to hear you play, and, and you're singing, and she was, oh, my God, I've been long with Richard Bones. What she tell Yeah, I know. It's like she's, so she says, don't tell him that. <laughs> but uh, now it's on camera, so now the world knows. So you have this beautiful, angelic voice. It probably comes from the church again. But, yes. But what, a, what an addition to your bass playing. Oh, my God. Singing came from my mother. It's, uh, you know, that's what I heard. That's the first singing that I heard, you know constantly all the times you know I used to get mad as a kid I used to get mad in purpose to have her singing for me this year I'd be like okay let me get like cranky or stuff and I get cranky also she starts singing so I'm cranky and then she starts singing and uh, yeah I remember that because uh, as a kid you know you we comedians as a kid, you know, provoking the situation. This is what I want, and I'm gonna get it, you know. So my mother used to sing a lot for me. So that was the the first person that used to constantly sing around me. So but I probably got that from her. Yeah. Till this day, I think she she actually she sings better than me, you know. And uh, is your mother still around? Yeah, I sang with her this Christmas at. Uh, uh, we were in France uh, for Christmas, and, so, and I and I forget sometimes. You know, I was just singing this line, and she came. She started harmonizing. Wow! Like, man, I should take you on the road. <laughs> she's like, no, my mother. She's uh, her nickname is Ayatollah. <laughs> she doesn't. She doesn't go. You know, she would not go anywhere. People sell alcohol, or if you smoke, and I'm like, okay, you stay home. <laughs> so, um, before we wrap up here and hear you play a little bit, what, what advice do you have for all these musicians who are coming up, all of our students and students of music, and, and just being creative? What have you learned in your years of, of studying and performing? that you can share with us today? Just what I will bring up first is the love of the artist have, you know, the passion of the music, you know. And uh, music is a beautiful tool, you know. And uh, because of the music, I had a chance to to actually get a better understanding of others, you know, because uh, uh, comes out. Music taught me not to be afraid of the difference, to actually embrace the difference. 
by embracing the difference, you become more tolerant with anything. You will try to understand others better. And, uh, and I think it's a beautiful thing for this, especially if these days where people are kind of, you know, kind of divided, you know, and for no reason. They don't even have a reason why they divided or they don't even know why, you know. And uh, music, my part, you know, because I never had a chance to go to school. I never been in any form of school or something, you know. And uh, so I kind of learned everything just by, you know, just like when I came here 19 years ago, you know. I didn't speak English, you know. So little by little, I picked up my, just like I picked up music, you know. But I got good ears, so, and good memory. Anything I hear, I can remember it. And uh, so music, music actually is a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful tool. You know, it's not just music. It's also a school of life, you know. And uh, that's why music brought to me. And um, so when I have a chance to share with uh, students and stuff, I'm like, you know, you'd be surprised what music can bring to your life. It's not just music the way we see it, you know. It's also other things around us, you know. To and uh, and I have a chance to travel today. I travel a lot, you know, playing music around the world, you know. And a better way, really, to understand people is actually going and meet people. And uh, my next trip is uh, I'm going to Singapore, then. Uh, Jakarta, and then uh, Bali, and then, uh, you know, we get to all these places, you know. Of course, we get to play, and people love you and stuff, you know, but I get a chance to meet people. That That's much more important to me than uh, just playing on stage and stuff, you know, because, uh, yeah. Oh, Richard, uh Thanks so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me here. Picking a love in the 
thank all the people who've been involved in this production, including Fernando Valaderes, who has helped us choose the music, Silvano Monasterios, whose themes we've used on the intro and outro, and great thanks to Rafael Alvarez for his continued work as co-producer and, and post-production in this particular uh, interview, and Claes Brandal, the music director of the Jam Session and the Jam Session Radio Hour. We certainly want to extend our thanks to NYU, to the Steinhardt School, to Dave Schroeder for his wonderful interview, and to its producers, Joseph Vella, Ed Barada, Shake Up Productions, and all of that made possible by a gift from Sal Geller. So once again, thank you for joining the uh, Jam Session Radio Hour. We really appreciate your, appreciate your interest and your continued interest. You can hear the Jam Session Radio Hour on a series of podcasts that are available to you where you normally get your podcast. So look for the Jam Session Radio Hour. And thanks for joining us tonight. So John Landis for the Jam Session Radio Hour. Stay safe, take care of one another, and good night. Mm-hmm.